When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Good evening, Little Masters, and welcome to episode 162 of the Prancing Pony podcast, where we may yet be avenged. So let us gird ourselves and weep no more. Folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room, and we'll be right there. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't know Hart's tongue from Wordleberry? Alan Sisto. No, that's true, but do you, Sean? Oh, I do, but only because I looked it up in Flora of Middle-Earth. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll be there soon enough. For now, I'm going to let time-traveling Alan introduce the next segment. Well, today we're bringing you another new installment of The North Wing. Barlam and Butterbur had a room or two in The North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn, made special for hobbits. Well, this is our place made special for some of our listeners to give us a chance to get to know them. Now, rooms at The North Wing are a little hard to come by these days. So only our patrons at the Bombadil's Bequest and Kirdan's Contribution tiers are eligible. So if you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Yeah, please do. We've got a waiting list right now for the North Wing, but we'll get to all of them as soon as we can. Yeah. And we'll make room for more if necessary. Well then, folks, why don't we go ahead and welcome tonight's guest to the North Wing, Jim Buckman. How are you doing? Doing fantastic, Jim. Thank you. We're doing well, Jim. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well, although I should have realized when I made reservations for these rooms, which were made special for hobbits, um, how low the ceilings would be. I've, I've been banging my head against the decorative beams overhead. <laughs> I had to drag the three beds together in order to make something that I could lay down on for my nap. On the plus side, the the, the portions at dinner were very generous. Oh, yeah, That's yes. what they specialize in here. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Our kitchen is pretty phenomenal. That's There's no doubt yeah. in that. The beds are tough, though, but that was good ingenuity <laughs> putting three together. Yeah, the, the bolsters were kind of crudely stitched together. It looks like you had some kind of problem here a while ago. We had some trouble recently. A bunch of bolsters yeah. got slashed in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some some rough, rough stuff. Some problems yeah. with the locals and some of the not-so-locals. But, you know. What happens in Brie stays <laughs> in Brie. We don't tell anything. That's right. Well, that's good to know. When the ale is flowing freely, you never know what's going to happen to the bolsters at the end of the night, you know? <laughs> that is absolutely true. That the ale has been on common good here. I can tell you that. That it has. Glad to hear it. Well, Sean, let's go ahead and get this thing started here, shall we? All right, very good. Well, Jim, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? What do your loved ones think of all this Tolkien stuff you're so into? You know, do they think you're a total nerd? Are they into it too? That sort of thing. Well, I'm an IT specialist at the National Weather Service. I have okay. been for about the last 14 years or so. I, I've done a lot of stuff with them for the weather radio, the broadcast mm. okay. that, that you hear, um, and also for the monitoring stations that, that forecast the weather that the right. like 122 sites. And then for the last eight years or so, I've been working with the Tsunami Warning Systems there. Oh, okay. So that's me. I mean, both a developer and a software designer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my wife, Kathy, is a nurse at Johns Hopkins, and my daughter is um, very active in local politics. She's very engaged with the Tolkien stuff and and, and really Great. enjoys that we do this stuff together. We, we went to Meathmoot two years ago. We're going to go again this year. Oh, wow. 
Kathy indulges me on it. She's not, <laughs> she, she, she'll watch the movies when they come on, but uh, <laughs> she's glad that I'm, that I have um, something fun to do. There you go. But she, she knew what she was getting into 26 years ago when, when she married me. Now, by that time, I'd probably read Lord of the Rings about eight times. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, the question that we ask everybody who comes to the Prancing Pony, and you've heard this before then, is when and how did you first discover Tolkien's works? What was your experience like and why do you keep coming back? Well, the first time I ran into Tolkien would have been The Hobbit, the TV movie. Mm -hmm. And if it, so it, at least I understood there was something called The Hobbit. I've seen people carrying the mm -hmm. book around. And um, the, the main thing that was the annoying song that kept on coming up, which <laughs> spoiled some of the adventure. But but otherwise, the yeah. adventure seemed fairly intriguing. And then in, in college, I happened to buy a, a set of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings for $5 from somebody. And, and I'd heard ahead of time from some, some people, friends of mine, that um, there's a scene where, oh, the hobbits are walking through Mordor, starving to death um, as they're approaching Mount Doom. So I had a little bit of a spoiler going into it, unfortunately. But I started reading it and I got so wrapped up in there that mm. I just, I, I had to read it straight for about three days before I got the whole thing done. And wow. the thing was, I was wow. a fresh, freshman in college, 1979, and I didn't understand the concept then of cutting class. It seemed like something <laughs> you just didn't do. So instead, I tried to surreptitiously read it in the back of the, the lecture oh, hall. Oh, brilliant. And that, yeah, that worked fine in, in Calculus 3 when there, it was a crowded class and I could sit in the back room. It didn't work so well at my writing seminars. Oh, no. <laughs> there were only eight people in the room, so it was it was very obvious I was trying to read something underneath the desk. So I got called out for that, and I had to. I, I, then I actually did cut classes to finish the whole thing. But wow. uh, that's why I get with a, with a book that I'm really interested in. Once mm -hmm. I get going on it, yeah. it's almost impossible to stop. Yeah, yeah. Ever since then, I um, have just been really intrigued by by Tolkien, and um, I, I've reread Hobbit and Lord of the Rings um, probably about once a year for the, yeah. this first mm -hmm. um, decade, I'd say, and then every couple of years. And, and, and I guess the last time I read it was um, after a twenty year gap. I, I read the whole thing through when I was on travel with my daughter, and I was had had jet lag. So mm -hmm. one thing I can do is I can read on the plane. So yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. that was no problem. So. But I've just been really um, ecstatic these last eight or nine years to find mm -hmm. such an active Tolkien scholarship community out there, yeah. Now, yeah, people who, who take it as seriously as I do. And that's um, that's been quite a gift. First, Corey Olson, and then you guys. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. plenty more out there. Uh, all those books that yeah. we recommended, all those experts that we've had on the show, they certainly are uh, very knowledgeable. And it's, uh, it's a great community of Tolkien scholars and fans, no doubt. I've I've been collecting them, and uh, I've gotten a lot of good ideas from your podcast um, oh, of, of the next book to read. Good, good. That's glad great. To hear it. We're we're glad to help fill out your shelf, and and I would say that <laughs> it's that community that really, it's really what keeps us, you know, so engaged in it, isn't it, Alan? I mean, it's, it's I the think people, so, yeah. just all the people out there, and all, you know, like you said, Jim, all the people who just take it as seriously as we do. That's what mm -hmm. keeps it fresh. That's what keeps it fun. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our next question. And I think you've heard this one before, Jim. What is your favorite book in the Legendarium and why? And then if you could tell us, if you have one, tell us your favorite non-Legendarium work by Tolkien. Well, obviously, Lord of the Rings, it's very hard to isolate a single portion of that because it all holds together so well. And I love it because of the depth um, and the fact that there was such a huge 
backstory that it could draw on that Tolkien had been working on for many years and his talent as an artist, as a poet, and the runes that he drew and all that is just, it, it, it was a book unlike any other. So that's what really drew me to it. Um, I'll, I'll give you my two favorite scenes there in, in two sentences. Um, uh-huh. Be gone, foul, Dwimmerly, Lord of Carrion. Yeah. And um, coming, Mr. Frodo, splash. <laughs> so those my two two favorite scenes in 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 the whole book, but it's um just the, the whole thing is just a joy. And and I have to, I have to say though, um I I kind of messed myself up a little bit with a spoiler in that when I got to the end of uh, the two towers, I was so incredibly anxious to find out what happened to Frodo that I skipped all the way to the beginning of book six so that I could <laughs> read that first chapter. So I, I kicked myself because then I missed the big reveal when you get to the, the outside the gates of Mordor and the Mount right. of Sauron hands mm-hmm. over the relics and the like, oh my gosh, they caught Frodo. And then, of course, I knew they hadn't caught Frodo. And I kind of knew that they hadn't because, like I said, the friends had spoiled it for me by saying Ah, starving in the desert. And I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Right, it hadn't happened, yeah. Right. Yeah, but it was kind of of a a surprise that I deprived myself of. But apart from that, yeah, just... Yeah, I love the books so much. Uh, Non-legendarium, I've got to say, even though it makes me feel like an inadequate father, Father Christmas Letters. Mm, Yes, (laughs) boy, doesn't it? It has that effect on all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am unworthy. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) It's like I want to share it with my kids, but I just know. I know if I share it with my kids, they're going to think, wow, this is awesome. What have you done for me lately, Dad? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get that for sure. Yeah, well, in our teens, when Emma went through a Star Trek phase, I, I did Aww. up a diorama of her made of, of utensils called um, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spork. And oh, I painted up a, a spork and, um, and, and knives and spoons and such like to look like all the characters. And oh, there was spork hiding hilarious. behind a rock saying, tee hee hee hee. So <laughs> I, I did little things like that for Emma, but nothing of the caliber that J.R.R. did. Well, no, but that's that's a pretty high bar in all fairness. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You you should be proud of that, Jim. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, aside from, uh, I don't know, writing some Christmas letters to your daughter, are there any Tolkien goals you'd like to share? Maybe tracking down a special book for your collection or or going to a moot? I know you mentioned Mythmoot a couple of years ago. Anything along those lines? I'm writing a paper, which I hope to submit for the upcoming Ooh. Mythmoot um, oh, wow. to present there, based on a theory that I formed um, about two months after I read Lord of the Rings for the first time. Okay. Excellent. I can't wait. I hope that that gets presented. I'm really looking, looking forward, forward to, that. to hearing that. Yeah. Um, I'm hopeful that um, it, it's it's intriguing. I, I, I think it might have been done before, but um, it's on the origin of Hobbits. Oh, that's going to be a fun one. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Jim, it's time now to move on to our lightning round. You've heard this before. We're just going to do some Mm -hmm. quick questions and ask for some quick answers from you. And I'm going to let Alan take the first one. All right. We'll start with an easy one. Who's your favorite hobbit? Uh, Frodo, um, barely edging out Sam. Fair enough. That's fair. What's the one place in Middle Earth you wish you could visit? Rivendell. Oh, well, that answers my next question, which was Rivendell or Lorien. <laughs> so I'm going to actually ask you a different one instead then. Your favorite poem or song in the Legendarium? Uh, I would have to say the Arendelle. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 yeah the song, song of the Arendelle. Arendelle just, yeah. That's one of mine. Yeah. 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 yeah, I've, yeah that, that, that's a, a flaw from people who read too much is that I, I'm 
get my own pronunciation of something in my head, oh, and it's very hard we did to correct it. Oh, don't, yeah, we, yeah, we know nothing about, about that at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> listen to our first season. You'll hear that all over yeah. the place. <laughs> it, it, they're hard habits to break, especially when you you read it so many times before the movies, yeah. All right, Jim, yeah. favorite author or book other than Tolkien? I'd have to say C.S. Forrester, the Horatio Hornblower series, mm, given yeah. the amount that I, I also read that. Because now we're near the Chesapeake Bay, so I sail. Um, okay. I used to sail quite a bit. So those those are very appealing to me in, in a similar way from the depth mm -hmm. of the story and the research. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, now, of course, we know that one does not simply walk into Mordor. But if you <laughs> could, who would you rather have at your side, Gandalf or Glorfindel? Gandalf, for sure. Fair enough. I quite like Glorfindel, but um, I think I think um, Gandalf will would trump him in the power department. Yeah. Certainly Gandalf 2.0, no doubt. Gandalf the White, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are some great answers, Jim. We really appreciate it. Thank you for coming and joining us. We've enjoyed having you here in the North Wing. But I think it's time for us to head back to the common room to join the rest of the listeners. Thank you so much for having me, and um, thank you for, so, for what you do. Uh, you're my... My, my music while my commute, um, you're, you're good for one round trip per day. I, I go from good. Annapolis to Silver Spring, which is about an Ooh. hour plus per, per direction. So um, mm. I really appreciate your making my drive that much easier. We're happy to keep you well, company. It's our pleasure, Jim. Thank you again. And we will see you back here at our next Questions After Nightfall, if not sooner. Sure will. Thanks, guys. And now we return you to the podcast in progress. Now let's get back to the book, because we love the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast. That's right. We bring you other Tolkien stuff from time to time. But at heart, Alan and I are fans of Tolkien's books and books about Tolkien. That's our passion. And as you know, we read a lot of books in preparation for this show every week. And if you'd like to get your hands on a book that we've mentioned, well, you're going to want to check out the official library page of our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. There we have links to every book we've mentioned on the show. And honestly, guys, there's a lot of other cool stuff on our website, too. We've got show oh, yeah. notes there, book links specific to each episode. You got some outtakes up there, Prancing Pony Ponderings, and even some other little extras. You'll also find mm -hmm. a link to our online storefront. That's at teespring.com slash stores slash PPP. And you can find shirts, mugs, stickers, and other PPP gear there. So be sure to check that out. Now let's join the company as they grieve Gandalf's loss and move closer to Lothlorien. Let's do it. Well, I suppose we should start at the very beginning, right? That is, as we've said, a very good place to start. So I'll pick up at the very beginning. Okay. Alas, I fear we cannot stay here longer, said Aragorn. He looked towards the mountains and held up his sword. Farewell, Gandalf, he cried. Did I not say to you, if you pass the doors of Moria, beware? Alas, that I spoke true. What hope have we without you? He turned to the company. We must do without hope, he said. At least we may yet be avenged. Let us gird ourselves and weep no more. Come, we have a long road and much to do. They rose and looked about them. Northward, the dale ran up into a glen of shadows between two great arms of the mountains, above which three white peaks were shining. Calebdil, Banuithol. Carathras, the mountains of Moria. At the head of the glen, a torrent flowed like a white lace over an endless ladder of short falls, and a mist of foam hung in the air about the mountain's feet. Yonder is the Dimril Stair, said Aragorn, pointing to the falls. 
down the deep cloven way that climbs beside the torrent we should have come, if fortune had been kinder. Or Carotheris less cruel, said Gimli. There he stands, smiling in the sun. He shook his fist at the furthest of the snow-capped peaks and turned away. To the east, the outflung arm of the mountains marched to a sudden end, and far lands could be descried beyond them, wide and vague. To the south, the misty mountains receded endlessly as far as sight could reach. Less than a mile away, and a little below them, for they still stood high up on the west side of the dale, there lay a mirror. It was long and oval, shaped like a great spearhead thrust deep into the northern glen, but its southern end was beyond the shadows under the sunlit sky. Yet its waters were dark, a deep blue like clear evening sky seen from a lamp-lit room. Its face was still and unruffled. About it lay a smooth sward, shelving down on all sides to its bare, unbroken rim. There lies the Miramir, deep Kaladzadam, said Gimli sadly. I remember that he said, You have joy of the sight, but we cannot linger there. Now long shall I journey ere I have joy again. It is I that must hasten away, and he that must remain. Mm. So mm. much sorrow. It's palpable. It is. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're, you're real. This is the first chance they've had to just stop and process what just happened. Gandalf has yeah. just fallen. It's yeah, been a few absolutely. weeks for us. It's been a couple of minutes. <laughs> That's true. That. It has, yeah. And we start with, you know, Aragorn getting this very, very poignant farewell to Gandalf. And, oh. and, and this, this really kind of mournful, I told you so, right? I yeah. Mean, you know, Alas, we, we that I spoke true. You're not kidding. Yeah. yeah. We talked about this a few times where he had this kind of foreshadowing or this, uh, this foreknowledge of what was yeah. going to happen. And he spoke true. His, yeah. his worst fears have come true. And it's not a good moment for him. You know? No, this is a truly sorrowful moment. And we can see that with what he says here, that we must do without hope. This mm -hmm. is Aragorn. This is the guy whose name is Hope, Estelle. Yep. Yep. Man, Bingo. this is so mm -hmm. significant right here. Mm -hmm. And he says it twice, doesn't he? He yeah. says, what hope have we without you? And he says, we must do without hope. Exactly. This is, is desperation time. It is a dark moment. It is a very dark moment for the fellowship. Yeah. yeah. And yet, in, in that very Germanic way, mm -hmm. Aragorn is going to do what needs to be done. He's going to step up. He's going to assume yeah. leadership of the group. Yes, he will. He's going to move on. Yeah, and give a, a very a clear command. We have a long road and much to do. Right. We, we got to stop crying. We got to yeah. gather ourselves, get, you know, gird ourselves and mm -hmm. stop, stop our tears. We got to get moving. And there's something, something I really like about this. You know, at least we may yet be avenged. Yeah. You know, that, that, that may be the only thing we can do right now. But let's mm -hmm. at least move on and do what we can. I wonder what he it's means cool by moment. avenge. They're not going to go back in and kill the orcs that, that were part of this attack. No. And to their mind, of course, the Balrog perished with Gandalf. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he means avenged in quite such a literal way. I kind of no. think he means avenged against evil, making Gandalf's right. death mean Destruction something. of the ring would yeah. mm -hmm. be a form of vengeance in that sense. Uh, that's exactly what I'm thinking he's going for. Yeah, yeah. just let's, completing let's the mission. Make it, let's make it count for something. Let's at, yes. Let's at least avenge it in the sense that we're going to accomplish his mission despite uh, the attempts of the forces of evil to stop him from doing so. Gandalf will not have died in vain. Exactly. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Gandalf will not have been mortally wounded in vain. <laughs> Sorry. Then he's down there going, I feel fine. Okay, I sorry. feel better. 
So happy. All right, let's go on. With can't this. you just can't can't you just, you know, take care of it for us? Uh anyway. <laughs> All right. The description of the Dale is pretty amazing, yeah. right? I mean, it's so clear. You can really see this, especially if you've ever been in the mountains yourself, uh, high up in the mountains where you're looking down on kind of the way the mountains go down into the lowlands mm. and then where you can see yeah. those lakes and things like that. Mm-hmm. This is a stunning description. And I Tolkien had been in the mountains. Yeah, exactly. To the he, Swiss Alps. He, he, knew he had personal experience of the Swiss Alps, and and we know mm-hmm. that uh, this the the crossing of the Misty Mountains was partly based on that. So yeah, exactly. this has got to be referring yeah. back to a memory that he has. He's got a strong visual here in mind for sure. I think it's it's very it's a very satisfying moment that they're actually able to turn back and see those three white peaks yes. from the other side. Because we have remember, finally defeated them. Finally finally defeated them and it cost them a lot. Yeah. So it's a very pyrrhic victory here, but there's something Boy, very satisfying kidding. about they've, well, we finally gotten to the other, the other side, you know, with the Hobbit, yeah. when we read the Hobbit, we talked a lot about these, these moments of boundary language, you know, this mm, liminal mm-hmm. language, we're talking yeah, about boundaries, That's right. crossing of boundaries. And there's a very strong boundary crossing here as they're looking Boy, back. There sure mountains. is. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. About and of course that. the flip side of that is yes, they've gotten across, but they can't go back. <laughs> any no. more than than they you know what i mean it's, yeah they can't they have to go forward it's the beginning of exactly the next step. that's exactly it it's not it's not going to be not that it was ever going to be easy to turn back but now it's really really not possible genuinely impossible back. right yep yep yeah. and of course they point out where they should have come down uh gimli does his personification of Carothrus again <laughs> still blaming which, it i know uh, <laughs> shaking his fist at the mountain Get off yeah. my lawn. You know, he's he's <laughs> kind of the angry old dwarf here. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I wanted to kind of draw your attention to this distinction, right? We talk about Gimli's personification, but look at what Aragorn has said. We would have been coming down that other way if fortune had been kinder. Mm-hmm. So there's really a, a very different viewpoint. Gimli does see this as kind of the way we've talked about it, right? The idea that there's a, an evil will, an evil malice here in Carothrus. And Aragorn, I don't know if he doesn't see that, but he sees the whole thing as part of fortune, part of fate, part of what would what was supposed to happen, what was going mm-hmm. to happen. And this is part of the part of the road that's laid for them, is the way Aragorn right. seems to see it. Yeah, and yeah, it's very different. Yeah, that that's a that's a very that seems like a very medieval way to, it does. to see it. It does you know, definitely kind of looking at it from that sort of perspective of Boethius and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's it's this idea that this is just something that they have to deal with. Whereas Gimli is sort of looking for looking to cast blame to blame. Look, mm-hmm. Yeah, he is to cast no blame doubt. on the mountain. Yeah, yeah. But then we get the sight of the mirror, mirror, don't we? Yeah. And really beautiful, beautiful description. Long and oval, shaped like a great spearhead, thrust deep into mm-hmm. the northern glen. Right. I guess I, I probably should take a moment here to talk a little bit of word nerdery on mirror, mirror. Well, you're our resident word nerd, so yes, I, I might as well. Do. Yeah, <laughs> might as well. So it's basically the word mirror, which mm-hmm. is probably pretty obvious, and it'll be obvious why it's got that element in it when you see it. Uh, but then the second element in this name is mere, M-E-R-E. Now, that's right. a primarily British word for a standing body of water like a lake or pool. People who are familiar with the Romance languages might recognize that that last element a little bit. They'll they'll probably recognize that mere is related to the word for sea in the Romance languages. There's Latin mare, mm. there's oh, yeah, Spanish yeah. mar, French mer, 
Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of Latin loan words in English from that root, you know, words like marine and submarine and things like that. Sure. This is not a loan word, though. Actually, this word mere, M-E-R-E, was native in Old English. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it was just, it was another native Germanic word that came from the same Indo-European root. Doesn't really appear a whole lot in modern English. No. But my five-year-old daughter did ask me to tell you guys that the native Old English form is the root of the word mermaid. So there you go. Really? Your daughter asked you to tell us that? She did. Yes. Okay. She did. I, I'm you very can't prove she didn't. <laughs> You're raising another word nerd. I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Proud of you, I'm Sean. trying. I am trying. I bore my kids with word nerdery at the table all the time. I bet you do. Mm-hmm. We bore our listeners with it all the time, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Did I say bore? <laughs> Inform. Educate. Entertain. I think we've gotten some good feedback on the word. I think segments. we've gotten a few every once in a while. I go on a little too long, but no, I don't think I've ever gotten any complaints like that. So anyway, good. if I had, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> good. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no, it's all right. Well, before we move on, I just wanted to take note of of Gimli's really mournful words about Gandalf. You know, his memory of what Gandalf had said to him. I mean, that that's what happens when when we lose somebody we love you know, and care about, like Gimli cared about Gandalf, we remember the things they said to us. Yeah. And here is Gimli saying, I remember that he said, may you have joy of the side of mirror, mirror. And now I'm not going to be able to have joy because I, I have to keep moving and he's not coming with us. Mm. Part of me even thinks that seeing the mirror, mirror itself, even in the future is always going to make him remember Gandalf's death. Now, He'll find out, of course, again, I was not dead. That's great. But, right. you know, for now, he's thinking this great place. That he'll he'll be laughing about it sorrow. eventually. Yeah. Remember that time we thought Gandalf was dead? Yeah, exactly. There's also a really sad, you didn't talk about this last sentence, where it is I, it is I, I that, that must hasten, hasten away and he that must remain. That's, there's a yeah. really sad irony to that. There is. You know? And, and I, and I kind of like that. There, that's very. Well, it's very dwarvish in a way, I think. It is, it yeah. is very dwarvish, isn't it? Yeah, there's because something different it's, it's about it. it's saying so much by sort of understating. Boy, and they do understatement quite well, don't they? Yeah, We talked about do. that, I think, way back in the, in the Hobbit, actually, in season two. I think we did, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to skip a little bit as Gimli decides he wants to go take a look at the mirror mirror. But then I'm going to have you pick up where he brings Frodo with him to take a look at the lake. Okay, I'll go there now. Come with me, Frodo, cried the dwarf, springing from the road. I would not have you go without seeing Keled Zaram. He ran down the long green slope. Frodo followed slowly, drawn by the still blue water, in spite of hurt and weariness. Sam came up behind. Beside the standing stone, Gimli halted and looked up. It was cracked and weather-worn, and the faint runes upon its side could not be read. This pillar mocks the spot where Durin first looked in the Miramir, said the dwarf. Let us look ourselves once ere we go. They stooped over the dark water. At first, they could see nothing. Then slowly, they saw the forms of the encircling mountains mirrored in a profound blue, and the peaks were like plumes of white flame above them. Beyond, there was a space of sky. There, like jewels sunk in the deep, shone glinting stars, though sunlight was in the sky above. Of their own stooping forms, no shadow could be seen. Oh, Keled Zaram, fair and wonderful, said Gimli. There lies the crown of Durin till he wakes. Farewell. Mm. He bowed and turned away and hastened back up the greensward to the road again. 
What did you see? said Pippin to Sam. But Sam was too deep in thought to answer. Hmm. Goodness. So before we move on and discuss that, yeah. we actually need to go back to the passage that we didn't read and do mm-hmm. a little bit of word nerdery on one of the words that was in there, don't we? I think so. A, There's a passage about, uh, what, what is it? Heather and Wynn. Yeah, Heather and Wynn. Heather and that thrust him into cracking stones. So I do want to do a little bit of word nerdery on this word because a lot yeah. of people probably have heard of Heather or are familiar with Heather, but well, probably sure. don't know what Wynn is. Hammond and Skull say that this is the common furs or gorse, a spiny yellow flowered shrub. I was going to say, because furs or gorse are not exactly words that I'm familiar with any more than I'm familiar <laughs> with Wynn. Let's be clear. <laughs> Oh, the common furs. That explains that. Don't you love that? When the word is defined by other words that you have no idea what they mean. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Flora of Middle Earth goes a little further. They actually define it it as Ulex Europaeus. And they point out that in... Europaeus? Ulex Europaeus. Sorry. You had to go there. A little bit of Falco. Yeah, 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 man. Falco. That was from their Gorse album. I remember that one. <laughs> so yeah, Flora of Middle-earth tells us that this is the uh, the scientific name of this plant is Ulex Europaeus. And they mm-hmm. actually point out that this is not the only place it appears in Tolkien. Oh, really? In the Children of Hurin, a white-flowered variant of furs or gorse appears and is called eyegloss, which means snowthorn. And which is also, of course, also the name of Gilgalad's spear. That is correct. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that that's neat? a really neat connection, Sean. I'm glad so, you found that. Well, yeah, thanks to Flora of Middle Earth, thanks to the Judds. But yeah. yeah, that was really cool. So we know Eyegloss was the name of that spear, but it's it's actually the name of a plant and it's related to this. Of the white, the white flowered version of the, the white version thing. of this, whereas this, this wind would be a yellow version. Yep. Yeah, because telling me that it's furs or gorse tells me nothing whatsoever. I just want to repeat that. That that was really, what? Yep. So also, before we get into that passage, let's talk about something else we skipped. The description of this old road, these these ruined stoneworks, the cracking mm, yeah. stones, the great paved way, the ruined works of stone next to the path, and then, of course, Durin Stone itself. Oh, mm-hmm. oh Gimli, Gimli's been waiting to see this thing, hasn't he? Yeah. This is a huge cultural touchstone for him, and mm-hmm. no pun intended in that case. I just mean this in, in the sense of that word, that it is yeah cultural marker that he needs to be a witness to. He needs yeah, to this, see this. Yeah, This is not like stopping on the road to see the world's largest ball of twine. This is like a, no, no. This is like a pilgrimage for Gimli. I mean, That's right. Sort of. This Obviously, he a, didn't come here for this purpose, but this is a, a very significant place for Gimli culturally. Yeah, so, of course, he can't not stop, but Aragorn's right. point is, look, we're not going to be able to just hang out here at Durin Stone and at the right. mirror mirror. We need to get going. We've got to yeah. get moving in, in a very reasonable amount of time here, shall we? That is like me when my kids ask to stop for the Lord. The big ball of twine? <laughs> for the world's largest ball of twine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The kids are like, yeah. Dad, come on, I want to go see it. And I'm like, all right. Fine, you got 15 minutes. Fine. Timer starts got, now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and stop at the bathroom on the way. So it's not Right. And then wash your hands. And so you need like six minutes at the big ball of twine. <laughs> yeah. Which Good. probably is car. four minutes too much, honestly. Right. Yeah. Four and a half. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere out there, somebody's a big fan of the world's biggest ball of twine and is like, how dare you say that? It takes a that lot longer be. than 20 minutes to see that thing. To admire the incredible spherical nature Behold of Behold it in all of its glory. In all of its twiny glory. The almost perfect sphericality of it. Yeah, and the, I'm sure. The way it entices the world's largest cat to come along and play with it. Oh, man. I do not want to see the cat big enough to play with the world's largest ball of twine. 
I don't, I don't want to feed the cat big enough to play with the world's largest. <laughs> you would point. feed the cat with yourself. Are you kidding <laughs> I would, me? I would, You'd I be would an appetizer. Be a, I would be a nice little snack for that cat. You're right. Oh, munchy munch. All right. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and All get right. so, uh, with Gimli, Frodo, and Sam to the mirror mirror, shall we? Yeah, because Gimli, interestingly, he he says, hey, Frodo, come on. It's, it's I love that. that he, he tells Frodo. He picks Frodo out of all the group. Hey, come see this with me. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't explicitly invite Sam, but Sam follows and he's not, you know, it does, there's nothing to suggest that he's totally a third wheel. He seems no. welcome to go along. Well, I, I think curious. anytime you ask Frodo to come, you know Sam's coming with you. You know Sam's going to come with. That's a good point. Yeah. It, it, it's if, if am, you ask, yeah, a bodyguard's going to come with the president. It, it's just you're never going to get Frodo by well, himself. that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know if Sam is quite as mission critical as a bodyguard, but I guess he is. I mean, he ends up being so. Well, yeah, I was going to say he absolutely <laughs> becomes mission critical, doesn't but he? But at this point, like, nobody knows he's going to play quite no, such an No, no, that's role. true. No, that's good. But, um, but yeah, but Sam But I am kind of curious, what, what are your thoughts on to why Gimli takes Frodo specifically Frodo. and not any yeah, of the Yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. Why didn't he, we speculated that he's been getting closer to Legolas over the last few mm-hmm. days. Yeah. And he doesn't invite Legolas to come take a look. Right. He says to Frodo, I would not have you go without seeing this. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know as to why Gimli would choose Frodo. Perhaps he knows that. Yeah, I would like to hear him because I don't. Well, the first thought I have is Though Frodo I suppose that's is... not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Frodo is, in a sense, the leader of the party. Exactly. I mean, he's he's certainly not like the tactical leader of the party. That was Gandalf, and now it's Aragorn. But, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent that it is Frodo's quest, and they're all here right. to support him, he is the leader of the party in that sense. And so that could be it. It could be nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of feel like Frodo, out of the entire group, has shown himself to be kind of the most cosmopolitan member of the group, the, the kind who would be, ah. I think, more more interested in other cultures. Right. You know, Gimli and Legolas, they've started to become friends, but I don't, I don't think they're quite there yet. Pippin yeah, they've just Mary, started to become not quite want to kill you enemies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting better, but they're yeah. not yet friends. Exactly. Pippin and Merry, they're not, they're not going to really no. have, have much of a reaction to this. They'll probably think it's cool, but they're not going to, you know, really right. appreciate they're, it. Yeah. Sam's probably the same. Boromir, maybe he's seen it. Probably not, but he's traveled. He probably hasn't yeah. seen it. And he's more fair, interested but... in the, the history of men and the things that exactly. men have Exactly. It's not the kind of thing he's interested in. Um, Aragorn probably has seen it. I'm sure. I would imagine yeah. as much as yeah. he's traveled. And so Gimli probably knows that. So really that just leaves Frodo, doesn't it? Could be. I mean, sort of a by default. The only one who hasn't seen it who'd me. be interested. You know, out of all your friends, he's the one. He doesn't go by himself. I, I have thought of something. I wonder if, in a, in a way, this sort of echoes the way that the dwarves, some of the dwarves, I'm thinking Balin in particular, sort of took Bilbo under, under, mm-hmm. under you know, Bil- Bilbo was sort of taken under Balin's wing, so to speak. You know, he watched out for him. He was the one who told Thorin, you know, the value that, uh, that Bilbo had. I believe he was the one that uh, was impressed with Bilbo when he snuck out, you know, after escaping yeah. from the goblin mm-hmm. caves and he'd gotten so close, you know, Balin was on lookout. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that here, a little bit of that sort of, it's what Balin would have done with Bilbo, and so now it's what Gimli's going to do with Frodo. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems more like a reason why the author had this happen, not necessarily an in-universe reason for why Gimli would do it. Unless it's just a dwarvish thing to do is find somebody 
who's... Well, Glowin would have told Gimli all about Bilbo. So yeah. there's kind of this closeness so you're thinking, by nature. So you're thinking sort of an intentional echoing of the, of yeah. the Balin and Bilbo thing. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. does sound like more of an authorial thing. Yeah, I don't know Obviously, if that yeah. explains Gimli's motivation directly. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. It's a thought. It could just be that dwarves like to take friends along. You know, they're, yeah. maybe they are. They're uh, very social uh, people. They're very social people. Yeah. I think they can be, I think they can be kind of gruff and they can be kind of standoffish to the wrong people, but I think they, they really do value friendship. And oh, they yeah. Really do, you know, they're they incredibly loyal. And things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So very much so. I think they're I think they're very social. Maybe he just mm-hmm. and maybe that goes back to what I was saying about maybe he just feels like he wants to take somebody and he feels like Frodo out of all of them would appreciate this the most. I think you might be right. I like that he ran down the long green slope. He must mm. be exhausted. Exhausted. Mm. I mean, look at what they just went through, what just happened. And yet he still has enough physical strength to go running. He's so anxious to see this. I don't know. I just thought that was neat. Maybe he's feeling a little bit of recovery. You know, this is a Ah, maybe it's a special place. This spot is a very special Mm -hmm. place. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love what we see when we actually see the stone it's, it's cracked and weather worn. It's got these ancient runes that are, they're, they're faint. They can't even be read because they're so old. The erosion. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's really cool. That really is. And then they go look in the mirror mirror just as Durin did. Right. And (laughs) this amazing sight where. It seems that they are, they're not really seeing what's above them, are they? Right. They're looking at it. At first, they could see nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. They're seeing something different. They're not seeing a reflection of the sky above. They're seeing, no. they're seeing some enchanted vision. Some sort of this, vision. Right. Mirror. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it makes you think of the next time they're going to look in a mirror, doesn't it? Yeah. Frodo and Sam, uh-huh. this isn't the last mirror they're going to look in in the next right. uh, you know, few pages. Right. But I love this. You know, but first we, we see nothing at all. Then we see the mountains in blue, and it looks like it might be a reflection, maybe. But then we see the stars. Mm-hmm. Now we know this is a vision. This is something that is magical in a way. It's, mm-hmm. it's beyond what nature would give us. We're not, right. we're not seeing what is. We're seeing what was. We're seeing an image of the sky and the reflection in the mirror the way it was when Durin first came upon it, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which leads to Gimli's really... Sort of, I was going to say stilted, but that's that's almost got a negative implication. I just mean it's this formal language. It's it's almost like it's a ritual thing. It does some sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the way somebody might recite scripture and wonderful. Mm -hmm. There lies the crown. Yeah, it does. It's it's almost like a like an invocation, you know, or a prayer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, just a neat moment there. Yeah, and then he bows and he's he's done. Yeah, and then there's this really really wonderful moment as as they're coming back to the group. Pippin mm-hmm. asks Sam, what did you see? And Sam just, he just can't answer. No, too, too deep, deep in thought. thought. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, for Sam, that's something. I, I love that he doesn't have a response because usually he, mm-hmm. he does. Usually he's very quick to have some sort of. That is so true. Sam is usually quick to speak. Not necessarily deep response, but no. sometimes it's a witty thing. Sometimes it's a quick-witted yeah. sort of, well, singed the hair off of my head, but, you know, I knew Gandalf wasn't going to end up in a wolf's yeah. belly. Yeah. That sort of thing. Sam tends to think out loud a lot. He does. And. <laughs> oh, man, I'm more like Sam than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, do you know, it's not so like he, much. it's not like he says, it's not like some people where they, you know, they say things they shouldn't say. I, you don't get that from Sam, but he does really think out loud. He's like, he's kind of always he saying does. what's on his mind. Processing. And the fact yeah. that he's, the fact that he's not saying anything here, that's significant. Mm, that really is significant. This is, this is a transformatory moment for him. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think so, too. First of many. Well, well right. not first. One of many, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Probably not the first. I, I don't know that I could point to the first right now, but I'm sure if I tried to, I could take the time to do that. Yeah, maybe the elves or something. But that's what I was thinking. The the elves in the forest. And Woody End sees yeah. them. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I thought as well. Now we're just being nerds. <laughs> well, I think people are used to it after 161 episodes. I would imagine that after this many hours, what that that probably what 250 to 300 hours of content. I think something they know like we're nerds that. now, Sean. Yeah. I think they know. Secrets out. Yeah, it is. We we keep on going down the road, and I'm going to pick up a little bit after that. Aragorn's talking about the silver load here. Our road leads beside it for many miles, for I shall take you by the road that Gandalf chose. And first, I hope to come to the woods, where the silver load flows into the great river, out yonder. They looked as he pointed, and before them they could see the stream leaping down to the trough of the valley, and then running on and away into the lower lands, until it was lost in a golden haze. There lie the woods of Lothlorien, said Legolas. That is the fairest of all the dwellings of my people. There are no trees like the trees of that land. For in the autumn their leaves fall not, but turn to gold. Not till the spring comes and the new green opens do they fall. And then the boughs are laden with yellow flowers, and the floor of the wood is golden, and golden is the roof, and its pillars are of silver, for the bark of the trees is smooth and gray. So still our songs in Mirkwood say, my heart would be glad if I were beneath the eaves of that wood and it were springtime. My heart will be glad even in the winter, said Aragorn, but it lies many miles away. Let us hasten. Hmm. Since we were just now talking about how they're, you know, they turn back and they look at the three peaks, yeah. it's easy to forget that they're still on the mountainside. Yes, they <laughs> yeah. are. That, that forest is up. a long way off. Yeah. 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 So they've got, first they've got to take this, this descent down the mountain. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing they're going to do, moving quickly downwards. Right. And we didn't read this word, but there is a little bit of word nerdery. Just, I'm going to take a bit here and there. The word freshet, right? Uh, from which a freshet fell over a stone lip. Okay. That's just a, a rush of fresh water. So it's a, a very small trickle, you know, streamlet. It's, it's, it's the beginning of a, of a river, perhaps. But okay. uh, it's just a small rush of water. Gotcha. And and then we see Gimli actually identifies it for us, doesn't he? He says this is actually mm-hmm. the spring from which the silver load rises. Right. So that's what that is. And he gives this interesting warning. Don't drink of it. It's too cold. Mm. I like cold water. I do too. I mean, I, it, I don't it's know. still liquid, so it's not below 32 degrees. I don't, yeah, I don't, that, that's well, not really. Well, that's a, not true. You could have moving, if it's moving, it can be a little lower than that. I forget. Well, but, I guess uh, that's true. Yeah. But yeah. still, icy cold water. I I. Well, yeah, I can go not. for some of that on a hot I could day. Go, yeah, being a little chased bit, by orcs you know, and balrogs, yeah. It's not like it's you know, it's not like it's gonna freeze your throat instantly. It's not like drinking liquid, <laughs> liquid nitrogen, nitrogen right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> do not drink but, of it. It is liquid nitrogen. But okay, I guess, you got me. I won't do it. <laughs> I guess maybe he's worried they'll get sick or something. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I would think some icy cold water would be pretty tasty right about now. It's how you like your beer. I don't like my beer icy cold. No. no. Okay, you don't. Okay, maybe Gimli doesn't either. Maybe that's his thing. No, I, I got to go like mid-40s Fahrenheit okay. for my beer. Yeah. Fair enough. Some of them in the 50s. Really, the temperature... Okay, now we're really digressing. The temperature matters between 40 yeah, and 50? Yeah, it does. You can tell oh, the yeah, difference? Oh, yeah. Yeah, certain kind of beers you do want to drink a little bit warmer, like about 50 degrees. Wow. Yeah. As opposed oh, to I 40. could digress on this for a long time. Don't get me don't. started. No. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Okay. Yeah. 
So in yeah. the drinking game for our Discord listeners, do they drink when you talk about drinking? That's what I want to know. They should. Maybe we should put that yeah. in the drinking rules. All right. We should. So we're going to move on to Aragorn's plan. He, uh, we, we get the sight of the golden haze off in the lowlands, and then we get Legolas's description. Which is just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, isn't it? That's why we chose this passage to read, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now let's talk a little bit about the name, Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. So in the Unfinished Index, Tolkien translates this as both Lorien of the Blossom and as the Dream Flower. As Hammond and Skull point out in discussing this, the name contains two Sindarin elements, Loth, which means flower, and Lorien, which folks will remember, is the name of the place where Irmo lives in Valinor. Right. He is, as the Silmarillion tells us, the master of visions and dreams. That's right. Now, we get a bit more about the history of the names of this place in Unfinished Tales, as is honestly so often the case. In The History of Galadriel and Celeborn, there's a footnote from Christopher Tolkien that explains Lorinand was the Nandarin name of this region, afterwards called Lorien and Lothlorien, and contained the elvish word meaning golden light, valley of gold. The Quenya form would be Lorinande, the Sindarin Glornan or Nan Laur. Both here and elsewhere, the meaning of the name is explained by reference to the golden Malorn trees of Lothlorien, but they were brought there by Galadriel. And that footnote actually goes on pretty extensively beyond that. Christopher yeah. goes on to explain that the name Lorinand is said to have been itself a transformation after the introduction of the Malorns of a yet older name, Lindorinand, Vale of the Land of the Singers. Since the elves of this land were in origin Teleri, there is here no doubt present the name by which the Teleri called themselves, Lindar, the Singers. From many other discussions of the names of Lothlorien, to some extent at variance among themselves, it emerges that all the later names were probably due to Galadriel herself, combining different elements, Laure, gold, Nan, valley, Ndor, land, Lin, sing, and in Laurelindorinan, Valley of Singing Gold, which Treebeard told the hobbits was the earlier name. I was going to say, that's actually the easy way to remember how to pronounce it, is just to say it like Treebeard. Laura Lindoran. Laura Lindoran. Laura Lindoran. Exactly. You got to, you just can't be hasty. That's the thing. No, you can't be hasty. You got to take it slow. So in that case, Christopher Tolkien says, deliberately echoing the name of the golden tree that grew in Valinor, for which, as is plain, Galadriel's longing increased year by year to, at last, an overwhelming regret. And, of course, folks will remember that the name of that golden tree was Laurelin. That's right. And, of course, we get that this is the fairest of all elvish dwellings, uh, which yeah, is, is saying something because we were just in Rivendell. Yeah. So, really? Okay. Fairest of all the dwellings of the elves. No trees like their trees. Well, and, and it, it does make sense because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the difference between Rivendell and Lorien before, you know, Rivendell is, Rivendell is beautiful. It is, you know, it is certainly a a very elvish and enchanted place, but sure. You know, when you think of Rivendell, you think about it being the place with all the lore, you think of the library, you think of of it being homely, right? The last homely house. It's a gathering place. It's a social place, which Lothlorien, let's face it, is not. Is not. Lothlorien is, I mean, this is the perilous realm. This is, yeah, this, this is, is a fairy. place that is, this yeah. is fairy on earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fairy in Middle Earth, I guess. Well, right. And so, yeah, I think it does make sense that it would be the fairest of all elvish dwellings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, tell us a little bit about these trees. The trees, no trees like their trees, uh, which I love. The leaves don't fall, they turn to gold. 
I know. Doesn't it sound, no trees like their trees. I don't know. It just sounds. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no trees like these trees. We got the best no trees. No trees like these. We got these. the best trees. You can almost make a song of it. I know. The leaves don't fall in winter. They turn to gold and they only fall in the spring when they're replaced with new green. And when that happens, oh my goodness, the mm. boughs are full of flowers. The floor of the wood is covered in gold. The roof is covered in gold. What a vivid description. What a powerful image this is that Legolas paints with these words. That oh. is uh, such a powerful image because you realize that these trees are never bare. No. They go from having They go gold from green to, to having... gold, and then the new ones come in at the same time as, exactly. the, as they fall. Oh, yeah. Stunning. Yeah. And then after this breathtaking description, mm-hmm. Legolas reveals that, well, so still our songs in Mirkwood say. So yeah. this is not from personal experience. He hasn't seen this himself. He no. has this vivid image from, from songs and tales. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty that amazing really and is. also a little bit sad because... It is. He's, it kind of know, takes it away. He's never it, seen it. it. It takes away a little bit from, from what he's just said, like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, because, because it's hearsay. Right. I mean, he doesn't know. I mean, maybe that's what it was like 100 years ago, 500 years ago when those songs were first written. Well, to me, it reveals that he's got his own longing here. Oh, yes. You know, he, no, of course he, he doesn't. He knows he this is the himself. place for elves to yeah. go check out. This, yeah. this place is going to be a special place for him. This is going to be his Durin Stone. Oh, very good connection. I agree. Excellent. Yeah. Aragorn, though, just like he said to Gimli with Durin Stone, hurry up. <laughs> I mean, we got to get a move on here. Stop at the water fountain and fill your bottle. That's right. But before we hasten on, we want to remind you about our sponsor here on the Prancing Pony Podcast. That's right. Now, working out is hard. It's always been hard. Even when it's easy, it's still pretty hard. And Bomba socks can't change that, but they can make it more comfortable. So if your resolution is to get fit this year, start by getting socks that can keep up every step of the way. Alan and I have been wearing Bombas socks now for several months since they first supported the show. And I got to say, I love how just amazingly comfortable they are. Yeah. They use a built-in arch support system that feels like a nice hug, a foot hug. (laughs) I'm not hugging your feet, Sean. I love the way they (laughs) perform at the gym. Constantly pausing your treadmill to adjust twisted, bunched-up socks. Frankly, that drove me nuts, and I did have to do that before. But Bombas socks are designed with this left-right contouring and a Y-stitched heel, so they stay absolutely perfectly in place. I can tell you, they really do. But the best thing, what we really love about Bombas is their mission. Yeah, absolutely. Socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters, and Bombas socks were created to change that. For every pair you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. So go to bombas.com slash PPP today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash P-P-P for 20% off. Bombas.com slash P-P-P. Now, let's get back to the story. Sean, I love that passage, uh, but now it's time for you to pick up. Oh, this is when Sam and Frodo are kind of about ready to fall over from pain. Mm-hmm. And Legolas is like, uh, excuse me, guys. Hello. Hello. We've got wounded hobbits here, folks. Yeah. One of them we thought was dead five minutes ago. I know, but somehow you've forgotten about that. Yeah. Aragorn does feel badly about it, I admit, but he's kind of, he's the leader of this group. It's sort of his responsibility to take care of these guys, I think. <laughs> you know, he's he's pretty gracious about it. You know, I'm sorry. He is. He, says, he does so apologize immediately. He's yeah. just like, look, guys, there's a lot on my mind. It's 
It's been an eventful hour. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> I mean, really. And the last little bit has been the longest. So I had. We woke up in this. near Balin's tomb, and then we were attacked by orcs, and then we were attacked by a Balrog, and then Gandalf died. And so, yeah, I forgot <laughs> that all yeah. these things have happened to you. Excuse me. Now, <laughs> let's check your wounds out. Right, right. And that's where I'm going to go ahead and have you pick up. Okay. Soon afterwards, they came upon another stream that ran down from the west and joined its bubbling water with the hurrying silver load. Together, they plunged over a fall of green-hued stone and foamed down into a dell. About it stood fir trees, short and bent, and its sides were steep and clothed with heart's tongue and shrubs of whortleberry. At the bottom, there was a level space through which the stream flowed noisily over shining pebbles. Here they rested. It was now nearly three hours after noon and they had come only a few miles from the gates. Already the sun was westering. While Gimli and the two younger hobbits kindled a fire of brush and firwood and drew water, Aragorn tended Sam and Frodo. Sam's wound was not deep, but it looked ugly, and Aragorn's face was grave as he examined it. After a moment, he looked up with relief. Good luck, Sam, he said. Many have received worse than this in payment for the slaying of their first orc. The cut is not poisoned, as the wounds of orc blades too often are. It should heal well when I have tended it. Bathe it when Gimli has heated water. I'll just point out before we move on, which is why it would have been nice if you tended it earlier. I'm just saying. Well, you know. <laughs> it should heal well when I've tended it, which I could have done an hour ago. Well, but they didn't have hot water, so, you know. No, that's true. They only had know. the icy water <laughs> that they right. aren't supposed to drink. <laughs> that might have smarted a little bit. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go ahead, back to your reading, sir. All right. He opened his pouch and drew out some withered leaves. They are dry, and some of their virtue has gone, he said. But here I have still some of the leaves of Athalas that I gathered near Weathertop. Crush one in the water and wash the wound clean, and I will bind it. Hmm. Usually when somebody opens a pouch and dries out some withered leaves, I'm going to walk away. I'm just, I'm not interested. In I don't want to know what it is. I don't nope. want to have nope. it in my possession. I don't want to be seen with it. No, I don't nope. care what state we're in. I don't care if it's less than an ounce. I don't want anything to do with that. I am moving <laughs> on. Come on, man. Just crush run in the water. It's, it's fine. <laughs> All right. It's okay. Just, just wash your wounds clean. There you go. Well, let's talk about this. So, you know, like we said, Frodo and Sam start to lag. You know, they got no food combined with this fast pace and their, you know, injuries, uh, which, mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, Frodo's injuries would have been pretty severe. Um, uh, Sam, the hammer and the anvil, the, right? Right, the hammer and the anvil. I still, we'll talk more about it when we get this to this next yeah. section. But yeah, his injuries are, are got to be pretty nasty, internal injuries mm -hmm. for sure. And Legos is the first to notice. I like that. I don't know. It's not Boromir. It's not even Merry and Pippin. <laughs> it's Legolas yeah. who notices. Yeah, I think there's something nice about that. There's a there's a fellowship moment there because yeah, Legolas bit. is excited now because they're getting close to Lothlorien, but he's right. He's still paying attention to his friends, mm -hmm. what's going on Absolutely. around him. And Aragorn, to his credit, you know, we're giving him a little grief a moment ago, having some fun well, with yeah. it, but he does immediately go back. He brings Boromir with him. He mm -hmm. apologizes to Frodo very sincerely. Well, yeah. And, and well, listen to this though. I am sorry, Frodo. And he explains all this has happened. I've forgotten you were hurt. And, and Sam too. <laughs> I mean, talk about an afterthought. Well, I, mean, I can just see Sam rolling his eyes. Thanks a lot, Aragorn. Yeah, I that's mean, true. But I mean, you know, Frodo was the one they thought was dead. Well, right. That's so, true. And Frodo's the ring bearer. So I know. I'm just 
poking yeah. fun there. Oh, and Sam too. Because he always kind of yeah. feels like an afterthought sometimes yeah. to these other people. Yeah. Well, just like when he tagged along to Durin Stone. Right, you know? right. Oh, yeah. And Sam too. Yeah. But Aragorn, you know, again, we know Aragorn is in a rush. We know that he's, he's right now he's dealing with a lot. He's, he's been thrust into this leadership position. There's a lot on his mind. But he does the right thing here. He says, let's go ahead and take a rest. Let's, mm-hmm. let's try to ease you guys. Right. And, uh, and he and Boromir will actually carry them, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, which, of course, they did earlier, too, right? Back on the, on the mountain, on the attack they on Karapas. They did. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So then they find the Dell, surrounded by fir trees. And like you said, from Flora of Middle-Earth, we get Hart's Tongue and Whortleberry. Uh, and you've got a little yeah. bit more on them, don't you? Well, so once again, we're going to get one of those explanations of a plant that doesn't help you a whole lot, unless you know a lot Thanks about a plants lot. already. Yeah, but uh, but Hammond and Skull, they're really good at getting us started here. They tell us mm-hmm. that Hart's Tongue is a fern with narrow fronds. And that Wordleberry is another name for Bilberry. Hmm. Now, I don't know okay. much about Bilberry either, but no. we did see it briefly in Flight to the Ford. It's seen often on moors, and mm-hmm. it's actually a small shrub that produces oh, okay. small blue berries. This is a small shrub, perhaps, uh, w- with mm-hmm. a little path down the middle? <laughs> so you get the bi-level effect, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, had to do that. Well, and it produces small blueberries or very small berries. Very small, very small rocks. Churches. Yeah. <laughs> a duck. Who are you who are so wise in the ways of science? <laughs> oh, Terry Jones. I know. So oh, rest in peace, Terry. Yeah. I know. For us, the grief is still too near. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it is. Yeah. Yeah. So Flora of Middle Earth, not surprisingly, goes a little bit deeper and actually identifies uh, what species these actually are. So heart's tongue is actually Asplanium scolopendrium, mm-hmm. and then bilberry or whortleberry is Vaccinium myrtilis. Okay, if you say so, sir, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> but here's another plant that we find mentioned in the first age, thanks to Judd and Judd of Flora of Middle-earth. It's in Unfinished Tales of Tuor and His Coming to Gondolin, when Tuor and Veronwe encounter those orcs in the wild. You remember our epic series of episodes back in season one. They oh hide gosh, yeah. on a still long... still catching up on sleep from those. I know, man. How, we were up to like two in the morning on some of those. <laughs> it was like four for me, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty epic It was night. crazy, crazy. Yeah. So in that, in that section, they are in the wild and they hide on, quote, a long slope deep in wind and whortleberry. So not only do we get whortleberry, we even go back and get wind from earlier. That's right. There you go. Right stuff cool. right there. Yeah. Now, as for Hart's tongue, the Judds mm-hmm. also offer a really cool bit of symbolism here. They okay. say, perhaps it is merely descriptive because this is a common species, widely distributed mm. in Europe. However, it is also a beautiful fern and is especially distinctive because of its persistent, elongate, and unlobed leaves. And mm. the species traditionally has been used medicinally. Thus, it may be a signal oh. telling us that the travelers have reached a wholesome region near the Golden Wood. Well, that is interesting. Which, that And that's the kind of stuff that I love about that book. Not only is it great yeah. that you, they actually identify what plant this really is, because sometimes right. those names are, I you know. know, again, like we've been saying, they're not that, not that helpful unless you know a lot already. But right. the way they pick out this symbolism and knowing how much Tolkien knew about plants and, and was interested in the yeah. natural world, you, you, mm-hmm. you got to think he was, he was conscious of some of this symbolism. And I love oh, I'm that. I'm sure he was. I do too. That's a great catch by the Judds there for sure. Yeah. 
Now, time-wise, we get that it's about three o'clock, sun's getting lower in the sky. So Gimli, Pippin, and Merry go and gather firewood and water. And then Aragorn gets to work, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he starts with Sam. And yeah. Sam's wound is not deep, but it, it is ugly. And that's well, an interesting yeah. detail that, that strikes me yeah. as the, the kind of detail, you know, that a, it's, a writer who's seen war wounds would, would think right. of. Right. This is not a clean-edged blade mm-hmm. that has wounded him in, in a straight line. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Aragorn's comment, really insightful here if you think about it. He's talking about the cost of slaying one's first orc. I think he knows a lot of people who've received worse than this in payment for the slaying of their first orc. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know. I'm sure he's yeah. known many Dunedain and, and probably yeah. other than Rohan and Gondor who've mm-hmm. you know, been maimed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But the good news, of course, is the cut isn't poisoned. That is really a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he then he has his little prescription of, you know, I'll tend it, you bathe it, which mm-hmm. Sam might be. I took a bath this year already, sir. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But Aragorn managed to hold mm-hmm. on to some of the Athalos leaves that he picked up yeah. in book one. Now, yeah. they are well, dry he's a ranger, now, so I expect that he would, right. Of course, yeah. If he's going to go forage for leaves, he's going to hold on to them, put them in his pack, and and have them with him when he needs them. Mm-hmm. Now, they are dried now, so some of their virtue is gone. I think that makes what does sense, that mean? right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it does, but why? It, it, I think it's just like herbs that you would cook with. You know, if you, okay, if you use dried herbs, the, you know, the, the oh, oils yeah, and true. all the stuff that makes it, that makes it good isn't, isn't yeah, really going to be. That's a good point. Quite as, uh, quite as pronounced. I mean, my wife doesn't even really like to use dried herbs to cook with, you know, but they'll, yeah, they'll get the job they'll done the in job a pinch. Done. You know? Sure. Yeah. But yeah. that's true. You're right. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of one that we use. We use, uh, rosemary in a lot of, a lot of foods, mm-hmm. and we have a rosemary plant, a little bush in the backyard, and we just cut it off fresh. And mm-hmm. that is significantly better than when we've had to get the dried stuff at the grocery store. The dried store. stuff, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's, it's nowhere near as flavorful. And I guess that's the whole point. Athalos here, you know, it does have some healing properties, but a lot of yeah. it, as we'll see, really is that fragrance. It really is what it gives off yeah. in the scent. Exactly. Yeah. It's, the, it's those oils that are in it, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, and I, I think. Again, all that's anybody who's worked with with herbs before knows that yeah. dried is never as good as fresh, but it'll get the job done, so they'll work. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick up literally where you left off in that paragraph, and I wanted to break those down into two separate sections because we get kind of the rest and healing and the the, the fixing of Sam, but now we get to something really interesting. We get the revelation of Frodo Baggins. So now it is your turn, Frodo. I'm all right," said Frodo, reluctant to have his garments touched. All I needed was some food and a little rest. No, said Aragorn. We must have a look and see what the hammer and the anvil have done to you. I still marvel that you were alive at all. Gently he stripped off Frodo's old jacket and worn tunic and gave a gasp of wonder. Then he laughed. The silver corslet shimmered before his eyes like the light upon a rippling sea. Carefully he took it off and held it up, and the gems on it glittered like stars and the sound of the shaken rings was like the tinkle of rain in a pool. Look, my friends, he called. Here's a pretty hobbit skin to wrap an elven princeling in. If it were known that hobbits had such hides, all the hunters of Middle-earth would be riding to the Shire. And all the arrows of all the hunters in the world would be in vain, said Gimli, gazing at the mail in wonder. It is a mithril coat. Mithril. I have never seen or heard tell of one so fair. Is this the coat that Gandalf spoke of? Then he undervalued it. But it was well given. 
I've often wondered what you and Bilbo were doing so close in his little room, said Mary. Bless the old hobbit. I love him more than ever. I hope we get a chance of telling him about it. There was a dark and blackened bruise on Frodo's right side and breast. Under the mail, there was a shirt of soft leather, but at one point the rings had been driven through it into the flesh. Frodo's left side also was scored and bruised where he had been hurled against the wall. While the others set the food ready, Aragorn bathed the hurts with water in which Athelas was steeped. The pungent fragrance filled the dell, and all those who stooped over the steaming water felt refreshed and strengthened. Soon Frodo felt the pain leave him, and his breath grew easy, though he was stiff and sore to the touch for many days. Wow. All right, let's talk about this, because this is really yeah, fascinating. This is a great moment. moment. I love this it moment. Is. Yeah. You, you know, you start with, all right, your turn, Frodo, and Frodo does not want Aragorn to touch him. He's just like, nope, I just need some food. <laughs> nope, nope. Just Don't need some rest. Me. Nope, nothing, nothing to see here. Yeah, that's right. Move along. Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. move along. Aragorn insists and literally begins to take Frodo's clothes off. I'm not waiting for I'm you to sure take I'm not sure that's okay, off. but all right. I know, that might be... Aragorn, that that's that might be. We talked about liminal language and crossing boundaries. I think Aragorn <laughs> might have just done yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, no, Frodo's too hurt to do it. I think that's what we're looking at here. Is is Frodo's so injured that, you know, when when you're that sore, moving your shoulders back to take no, a, that's a that's true. Is, that's true. Frodo's sore. Yeah. So Aragorn, uh, you know, he gasps when he sees it, and then he laughs, and I love how. Tolkien doesn't directly, I mean, we know what it is, but he doesn't tell us until after the gasp and after the laugh. Mm -hmm. Then we see the silver corslet and we yeah. get that wonderful It's a great reveal. Yeah. It is. It's a great like reveal. You, said, and you we can do, see we it. We do know it's there, but we, we, it's kind of, he drags it out as long as he can, which is awesome. I would love to see that dragged out more in cinema. I think the moment was okay. If I remember correctly, it was more like, you know, he, he starts to open the shirt. I think we should see Aragorn's face. For five or ten seconds before we see the mithril. <laughs> I'd yeah. love to see that sort of drawn out and the laughing. But this that visual really cool. and auditory description. Oh, the mm. gems and the the shaken rings, the tinkle of rain. Oh, I can that see is, this moment. That's incredibly vivid. It is. And the rippling and then, sea. You know, oh. Yeah, it, it's gorgeous. Light on a rippling sea, tinkle of rain in a pool. There's a interesting lot, all the water imagery and the star imagery. It's it's really, you wouldn't think to compare a male shirt, you know, no. something metal to, to the natural world that Tolkien does. And then you get all these wonderful reactions to the coat from, from the members oh, of the fellowship. No. I love it. Aragorn's very strange sense of humor here. Um, <laughs> it really is, huh? But, you know, oh, here's a pretty hobbit skin to wrap an elven princeling in. And it's a bit about <laughs> like, oh, if everybody knew hobbits had hides like this, all the hunters would be riding there. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's a little odd, but it's funny. It is. It's kind of like that yeah. gallows humor. It is. You're right. It is somewhat morbid. Yeah. Yeah. And then we talked about this before. We talked about Gimli's observation about Gandalf's valuation being insufficient. Mm-hmm. But well given. That. He undervalued it. and mm -hmm. Exactly. Even though he undervalued it, even though it's worth more than the Shire and everything in it, and that's a low price, it was still well given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And of course, Mary's immediate recognition of the source and his just love and appreciation for Bilbo. What a great moment that is. I love mm -hmm. that. It's, it's another one of those reminders that, you know, Mary knew Bilbo pretty well, too. Mm -hmm. That's true. 
So he recognizes this immediately. Yeah, he does. And then we get Frodo's condition. So we get the dark bruise on his side uh, and his breast. The rings had driven through the leather. Are we going to have to give this an explicit tag? Because I said breast. Um, rings had driven through the leather under the shirt into his flesh. <laughs> I didn't even get a snicker, let alone a guffaw from you, Sean. What is wrong I, with I you? Chuckled. Did you, go refill you didn't your hear me water chuckle? Bottle? Uh, you didn't no, hear me didn't, chuckle? That's right. I did. That's I okay. Kinda... <laughs> so I got to say, though, really, Frodo's condition would be a lot worse. I'm not sure if I want to go into the science of this, but realistically, that mithril may be incredibly strong and, and can withstand the impact of an arrow and things like that. But the force has to go somewhere. Yeah. Force equals mass times acceleration. And there's a lot of both in that, you know, spear strike. And I'm so glad you remember physics. Well, it took me a little while, and it used to be it used to be because I would write, "May the mass times acceleration be with you." I would write up the formula dude, for mass and the formula dude, for acceleration. Seriously, we are nerds. We are. We are such nerds. We are. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> we digress. We do digress. Uh, I, I actually used to write out the most complicated formula for mass and acceleration that I could. May the be with you. Anyway, That's, that there's no question funny, that he would be suffering from serious internal bleeding. Yeah. Broken bones, ribs crushed. Yeah. He might not have been pierced by the spear, but. Well, but he he's not though, hurt. right? I mean, he's in pain, but I mean, there's nothing to suggest that he's got damaged organs and broken bones. No, that's and my that point. In, re- in the real world, he, he would should be. have. Yeah. He should have been. Yeah. Right. That's my point. Yeah. 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 He should be a lot worse off than this. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I suppose he should have had the spear just go right through him, right? I mean, he should have been. Well, assuming the mithril coat is capable of stopping a piercing wound, then maybe it could stop that. But where does the the force still has to be dispersed somewhere? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know we've got these ideas of armor that that disperses the force across the body. Still, I think there's just too much force there. But anyway, I'm Mm. I'm probably being too much of a pedant there uh, in terms of... (laughs) Maybe, maybe he says, but being pedants is what we do. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I think people know that after as many episodes as we've done here. (laughs) So Dr. Aragorn sets to work. Dr. Aragorn. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I play one in this book. There you go. He he bathes the hurts with the the Athelas tea, which smells fantastic. You're right. It's been steeped in there. So yeah. 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 Smells fantastic. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know, once again, we see that the smell yeah. has this restorative effect, even on the people who are healthy. It refreshes them. It strengthens that's them. That's what's exactly. That's mm-hmm. what's so amazing about this. It, it's mm-hmm. just, it fills the air and everybody who smells it has an, yeah. you know, has an impact on them. And I recall in the previous season, we talked about what this might smell like. And I, I, I have a. Didn't have we decide a, like basil or something? That's what I was thinking. It's, it's like, it's like basil. And, yeah, that's pungent. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking that uh, that basil also is named after kings. The, the, the root that's of that word right. is also about kings. So that's I maybe, right. Maybe Tolkien's thinking something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm imagining is a really strong, uh, pungent kind of smell like, like basil. Mm-hmm. And then, so like we said, uh, you know, even the healthy are kind of affected by the smell. And Frodo feels the pain leave and his breathing grows easier. Yeah. Yeah. But not all of his symptoms are gone. He's still sick. No, that's the thing. It, there is some magical power days. in this, but not not it's enough not, to completely get rid of it. Right. right. It's it's not it's not going to instantly get rid of all of his all of his hurts. This is not a, a magic healing spell. This is just 
It's just good medicine. Right. This isn't like some sort of uh, Star Trek tricorder and then, a, you know, an injection that, you know, Dr. Suddenly McCoy you're sticks perfectly your patched up and you have no more pain and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that. No. So we don't read the rest, but Aragorn's advice here, put this back on. Uh, and of course, it makes him very happy to know that Frodo has it because, hey, it's going to keep him safe. Uh, mm-hmm. And he even tells him, don't even take it off when you're sleeping unless you're in some place where you're safe, which probably isn't going to happen for a while. Let me ask you this, since maybe you know a little bit about this. We're told that at one point the rings had been driven through into Frodo's flesh. Now, does that mean that one of the rings or, or one or more of the rings has, has actually split? Or maybe the rings are actually, maybe they are actually split rings, right? They might actually be open, probably squeezed yeah, tight I don't, open. I'm imagining them having intact the ring itself, the, the, the circular edge of the ring. Has just sort of pressed into his skin. Pressed through the leather, Deeply. tore through the mm-hmm. leather, right, because mm-hmm. of the force. Mm-hmm. Not not that force, because of the force of the spear thrust. Right, right. <laughs> not the midichlorians. They're not to blame here. Uh, they've cut Yoda's through... been messing around again, and he's pushing That's everybody's right. ring mail through their... Yeah, no, not that. That's right. So they've, they've cut through the leather, which was thin anyway, because it's an undergarment. This isn't like right. leather armor. Right. Uh, but they've cut through that leather tunic, if you will, and gotten embedded then far enough through the leather to then pierce his okay. skin. Okay. But the rings are still Because I was intact. wondering... I, I don't was think you wondering... could break the rings of, of Mithril. No, I don't think... No, I don't, I don't think you could break the rings. I guess I'm wondering... I don't really know enough about ringmail to know, are these rings fused, closed after they're woven together, or mm. are they actually open and just sort of like squeezed together I see with what pl- you mean, pliers have, so that yeah. they're almost closed, but that enough force could actually split the ring again. And so I'm just trying to figure out, oh, is there, oh, oh. you know what I mean? Is there a point of a mithril ring sticking into Frodo's skin? But you're thinking not. I'm thinking not. I'm thinking just the edge. I, okay. They're very tightly woven. These are small rings, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. get the description about the, the corslet shimmering and we get yeah. the, the the tinkle of rain in a pool. So you can almost see that they're smaller. These are very, loops. very fine rings. And, and right. I think the, these aren't large yeah. coins in a pocket. This is rain in a pool. So it's a, a higher pitched sound. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it seems to me like these would be smaller rings. Yeah. So maybe I, I was just curious what's yeah. what's happening there, because I, I've I've been struggling with whether the ring has actually been pushed open by the force and is actually. I don't think so. Frodo. In which I think case, it would take a lot more twisting force to to tear one of those rings in a bend okay. like that. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think we're looking at so much force that imagining a series of these rings woven together and then mm-hmm. a a point of force, like the spear tip, yeah. hits them. And it drives that whole set of them maybe like an inch it, or and two it pushes in the diameter. Whole, it pushes, pushes the whole weave of, of rings into Frodo's Towards push, the yeah. leather. And the ones mm-hmm. that are being pushed the most actually pierce the leather itself until they get... Yeah, so into, there's a hole in the leather. There's a hole in the leather, but the you know the the mail, the the woven mm-hmm. rings have just sort of pushed into Frodo's flesh. Okay, That's that makes what I'm sense. I, I don't think the rings themselves would be bent and and like all askew. I think maybe we'd see that here. You know, they they'd be talking about the damage. Well, and that's why that's why I'm just I'm trying to that's why I'm trying to understand what the sentence has been driven through it into the flesh. Like in is it actually yeah. into his flesh or is it yeah. into the flesh? If anybody else listening has different thoughts and on I'm this, And I'm sure there know. will be plenty of people who probably make yeah. armor. And we know we have actual armor crafters in our audience. We do have some people who, who, who make mail uh, yeah. in our audience. So I'd love to hear from some of them. I'm trying to figure out, you know, is, is Frodo going to be walking around with uh, 
you know, is, is his armor going to be poking him now a little bit? No, that's the, the thing. Quest? I don't think so. I it don't doesn't seem so. like it does, does it? No, no. This is a, a state where they went, they got pushed through the leather to the point where they're yeah. embedded in the skin. And now that they're pulled out of the leather, they're back to, to normal. Yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, Sean, I'm going to go ahead and have you pick up a couple paragraphs later. All right. All right. It was dark. Deep night had fallen. There were many clear stars, but the fast waning moon would not be seen till late. Gimli and Frodo were at the rear, walking softly and not speaking, listening for any sound upon the road behind. At length, Gimli broke the silence. Not a sound but the wind, he said. There are no goblins near, or my ears are made of wood. It is to be hoped that the orcs will be content with driving us from Moria, and maybe that was all their purpose, and they had nothing else to do with us, with the ring. Though orcs will often pursue foes for many leagues into the plain if they have a fallen captain to avenge. Frodo did not answer. He looked at Sting, and the blade was dull. Yet he had heard something, or thought he had. As soon as the shadows had fallen about them, and the road behind was dim, he had heard again the quick patter of feet. Even now he heard it. He turned swiftly. There were two tiny gleams of light behind, or for a moment he thought he saw them, but at once they slipped aside and vanished. What is it? said the dwarf. I don't know, answered Frodo. I thought I heard feet, and I thought I saw a light, like eyes. I have thought so often since we first entered Moria. Gimli halted and stooped to the ground. No, I hear nothing but the night speech of plant and stone, he said. Come, let us hurry. The others are out of sight. I have the ears of a fox. It's kind of what I keep hearing <laughs> when I hear this passage, you know? Yeah. We're getting to that moment soon, aren't we? We are. But, you know, his whole thing about, or my ears are made of wood. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. There's nothing but the night speech. We, but we he, know he's he, not. He says that right before we get the uh, the dwarf breathed so loud we could have shot him in the dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the movie. And we're about to get that in the book, not in this episode. We are. All right, let's pick up a little bit before the point where you read. They're climbing back onto the road as the sun begins to sink. So remember, we talked about it being 3 o'clock in the afternoon when they got to the dell. So now mm -hmm. we're significantly later in the early evening. But Sam and Frodo are feeling better, and now they're able to keep up. And then we get to your moment where it was dark. Deep mm -hmm. night had fallen. Clear stars, no moon yet. Mm -hmm. And Gimli and Frodo kind of lag behind, don't they? Kinda yeah. Back. Yeah, they're just, you know, getting a chance to talk a little bit. Gimli says there's no goblins near or my ears are made of wood. And that's, like mm -hmm. I said, I kind of think that's inspiration for ears like a fox. Could um, be, yeah. He points out that, you know, the, the orcs may be content with just driving us from Moria, but there is the fallen captain. And then my question is, Gimli's question here, did this have anything to do with the ring? Let's speculate the, about that for a little bit. They don't really know. They certainly hope not. No. Well, and that goes back to the question that we talked about a few episodes ago about is the Balrog and mm. all the Orcs of Moria, are they all in league with Sauron? Right. Or um, or not? Mm -hmm. And Are they free agents, so to speak? Are they yeah. allied and, and with, but not under the command of? We don't know. And I think where we landed on, on the Balrog, if I'm remembering correctly from a few weeks ago, is that, that they would have been aware of each other. The Balrog and the Orcs would have been aware of Sauron. I think actually some of those mm -hmm. Orcs had actually been sent by Sauron to populate Moria. Right. But... Right. Being where they were and being the kind of creatures they are, they probably weren't really controlled by Sauron to How could to they be such from that degree. distance, right? 
Yeah. To, yeah. From a distance. And, and certainly the, the Balrog wasn't controlled by Sauron. I don't know that Sauron could have controlled the Balrog. I think he probably right. was, was trying to use it as a weapon, but I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that Sauron was really all, all that able to control it. No. And I'm sure the same goes for the orcs. And remember mm-hmm. that Sauron didn't really tell even his rank and file orcs about the ring. None of them really knew about about the ring. He would send them on these missions and they wouldn't always know exactly what they were going after. I'm thinking of like the, the Gladden fields, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the orcs didn't really know yeah, anything they didn't about know. the Sildur. Sauron's very unlikely to tell them, oh, by the way, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know what? All my power, it's concentrated in this little tiny thing that would totally fit on your finger if you found it. Right, Just, right. If you find it, can you bring it back to me, please? He's not going to say that. No. So are they tied to the ring? I I would probably say no, they're not. I think this was just general malice. But we do see that the ring has an effect on evil things, doesn't it? It oh, kind of yes. draws it them draws out. It draws them. Absolutely. And so, does, yeah. and so while I think it's very unlikely that they were consciously searching for the ring, which I think addresses Gimli's concern, they probably were attracted to it in a way that even mm-hmm. they didn't really, you know, understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, iron particles to a magnet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. You're all about the physics, the physics tonight, tonight, apparently. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's great. My son would be impressed. My life is complete. I've impressed a seven-year-old. That <laughs> it's makes all me so about happy. impressing my son. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, they're, they're more likely to pursue because of the fallen captain than because of yeah. the ring. Yeah. And so this prompts Frodo to take a look at his sword mm-hmm. and, and see mm-hmm. if Sting oh, is Let me check my handy-dandy orc detector right here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no light. So that means that there's no orcs following, but he does think right. he's heard something. Yeah. And he says that he's been hearing this since Moria. And, um, <laughs> try, sorry. Pitter patter of little feet. Thank you. <laughs> the pitter patter of little feet. Something. Oh, they have him. a golem. Oh, look at his golem. He's so cute. It's a golem, folks. There's a birthday party I'm not going to. What? What color cake do you make for a, <laughs> oh. it's a golem gender reveal party? Oh, oh, that's a scary thought. Maybe it's pale? Pale and Yeah, just like a, a pale yellowish green, sort of a, yeah. just a, you know, just yeah, something disgusting. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> like little chunks of things in it, sort of Ew. just kind of gross. Yeah. So nobody wants to eat it. Oh, it was a golem. Well, we were hoping for a girl, but it's a golem. But it's a golem. Oh, well. I just hope it's healthy. No, but the the point is (laughs) something has followed them. He knows something something has been following them. He's been hearing it since he was in Moria. Mm -hmm. And he he saw, or he thinks he saw, two tiny gleams of light. Yeah. You wish he talked to Aragorn about it, because when he finally does, Aragorn's like, oh, oh, yeah, gone. Oh, yeah, that's totally gone. Yeah. Right, it's like, yeah. dude, could you have mentioned that for us like a little while before? Like maybe at least now? I don't know. It was on a need-to-know basis. It was, apparently so. Gimli still doesn't hear anything because mm-hmm. he doesn't really have... Because his ears, ears are like actually made fox. of wood, apparently. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe but not we wood, did, maybe just but, stone. <laughs> but no, in Gimli's defense, we did talk a few episodes back about how Frodo's senses really yeah. seem to be sharp. Enhanced by the senses, ring that's true. Point. Yeah. And even by the... The wound. By the wound, right? That's, That's right. correct. Was, you're absolutely right. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next section here. I'm going to read this one. The night wind blew chill up the valley to meet them. Before them, a wide gray shadow loomed, and they heard an endless rustle of leaves like poplars in the breeze. 
Lothlorien, cried Legolas. Lothlorien, we have come to the eaves of the golden wood. Alas, that it is winter. Under the night, the trees stood tall before them, arched over the road and stream that ran suddenly beneath their spreading boughs. In the dim light of the stars, their stems were gray, and their quivering leaves a hint of fallow gold. Lothlorien, said Aragorn, glad I am to hear again the wind in the trees. We are still little more than five leagues from the gates, but we can go no further. Here let us hope that the virtue of the elves will keep us tonight from the peril that comes behind. If elves indeed still dwell here in the darkening world, said Gimli, it is long since any of my own folk journeyed hither back to the land whence we wandered in ages long ago, said Legolas. But we hear that Lorien is not yet deserted, for there is a secret power here that holds evil from the land. Nevertheless, its folk are seldom seen, and maybe they dwell now deep in the woods and far from the northern border. Indeed, deep in the wood they dwell, said Aragorn, and sighed as if some memory stirred in him. We must fend for ourselves tonight. We will go forward a short way until the trees are all about us, and then we will turn aside from the path and seek a place to rest in. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk a little so, bit yeah. about this. Yeah. So, yeah, we see that the endless rustle of leaves announces where they've arrived. It announces mm -hmm. their location. And Legolas says, hey, oh, we're here. We made it. But too yeah. bad it's not spring. I know, really I know. Oh, I'm so glad we're here. Oh, well, it's not it's not spring. But, you know, yeah. like we've talked about before, that's still going to be an amazing place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I love this description of the trees, how they're arched over the road and the stream. I, it's such a cool look, these trees just leaning over and, and creating almost a tunnel. Uh, and, then of mm. course, the, the gray yeah. stems and the, the gold leaves. So gorgeous. It's an incredibly cool image. Mm -hmm. And... Aragorn's reaction to seeing Lothlorien is so oh. telling because he says, oh. he says, glad I am to hear again the wind in the trees. Yes. He's, he's got experience in this place. We know yes, now that he, he, does. Has, he has experienced this place. And he reveals that he's got deeper knowledge as well. Mm -hmm. He says, we're still a little more than five leagues from the gates, which mm -hmm. implies that he's got some even more intimate knowledge of this place. Yeah, so he knows where the gates are. Yeah. He knows where the gates are, how far they are from them. Five leagues is a little over 15 miles. Uh -huh. So he says, let's go ahead and stop here. We can't go any further. Yeah, we're not going to make and, 15 miles after dark. Yeah, no, right. But we're going to hope that the virtue of the elves will keep us safe. Now, mm -hmm. when he says hope, I mean, I think he, he really assumes that the virtue of the elves yeah. will keep them safe. He, he knows yeah. well enough to know that they'll be safe here. Yeah, let but us hope love the sun rises tomorrow. tomorrow. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, of course it's going to happen, right? Let us, yeah. let us hope this thing is going to happen. It's going to yeah. happen. But I do love that he uses the word hope, because remember, mm -hmm. at the very yeah. beginning of this chapter, and the very exactly. beginning of this episode, he had no hope. Mm -hmm. Estelle was without hope at that point, and now he's got yeah. hope again. And I love yes, that. Yes, he does. Even if it's a hope that's, well, it's so well-founded, it's almost hard to call it that. I mean, it, it, this is going to happen. Of course, the virtue mm -hmm. of the elves is going to keep you safe. Here. Well, this is Estelle hope. You know, this is hope mm -hmm. that's founded on something that's true. real. Yeah, you're right. On something very specific, on a, on a very identifiable thing and not a vague hope. But Gimli, Gimli questions whether they even still live here, right? Uh, you know, the world's growing of darker. He does. You know, well, yeah, he is Gimli after all. Yeah. But Legolas says, you know, look, my people don't have firsthand information, but we believe they're still here. Right, right. 
and notice this language about the secret power here that holds evil from the land. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty significant. We'll get, we'll get to know that or her pretty soon. <laughs> uh, the ring on her finger, that's right. Yeah. But first we're going to get a little bit from the history of Galadriel and Celeborn from Unfinished Tales, this time from Appendix B. Discussing the realm of Thranduil, Tolkien says that the elvish folk of this realm had migrated from the south, being the kin and neighbors of the elves of Lorien, but they had dwelt in Greenwood, the great east of Anduin. So he's talking about, obviously, how this connection that Legos talks about, you know, my people don't have firsthand information. Well, yeah, yeah. Th these may be yeah. the places that we used to be, but right. now it's something else, right? Right, yeah. So, and then Tolkien goes on to His explain. people used to live here. Or his ancestors right. used exactly. to live his here. His ancestors yeah. used to live here, right. Mm -hmm. So then going back to that Unfinished Tales appendix, we get in the Second Age, their king, Orifer, who is the father of Thranduil, who's the father of Legolas, had withdrawn northward beyond the Gladden Fields. This he did to be free from the power and encroachments of the dwarves of Moria, which had grown to be the greatest of the mansions of the dwarves recorded in history. And also he resented the intrusions of Celeborn and Galadriel into Lorien. Hmm. Happy guy, that Orifer. Yeah, he just... <laughs> he, 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 um, he doesn't have a good end, does he? No, he doesn't. No, he we doesn't. We talked about that. He's the one before. who... That's right. Because he decides he doesn't even want to march under the flag of Gilgalad, right? Right. right. He wants Isn't that to, him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I think so. He's yeah. the one who goes to the, the battle there at the end of the Second Age. He goes, at least to his credit, he goes. Right. But because he doesn't want to be allied with or under the command of anybody else he right. is independent and he acts rashly and right. they get completely wiped out yeah right that's right hmm. yep yeah that was them well okay so legolas the elf mr uh, i'm so hip that my people were here before it was cool <laughs> that's right you know, that's right he may not have first knowledge of this place but aragorn does mm -hmm. he absolutely has been here before and he knows that they live very deep in the wood yeah, specifically and, how deep they live in the wood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we talked about that. And, uh, you know, we'll fend for ourselves tonight. We're going to find a safe place off the path to rest. That's right. But that's not exactly a happy thought to everybody, is it? No, it's not. Boromir absolutely does not like this. And that's where I'm going to have you read for the rest of tonight's uh, section. Okay. He stepped forward, but Boromir stood irresolute and did not follow. Is there no other way? he said. What other fair way would you desire? said Aragorn. A plain road, though it led through a hedge of swords, said Boromir. By strange paths has this company been led, and so far to evil fortune. Against my will we passed under the shades of Moria to our loss. And now we must enter the Golden Wood, you say. But of that perilous land we have heard in Gondor, and it is said that few come out who once go in and of that few none have escaped unscathed. Say not unscathed, but if you say unchanged, then maybe you will speak the truth, said Aragorn. But law wanes in Gondor, Boromir, if in the city of those who once were wise they now speak evil of Lothlorien. Believe what you will, there is no other way for us, unless you would go back to Moriagate, or scale the pathless mountains, or swim the great river all alone. Then lead on said Boromir, but it is perilous. Perilous indeed, said Aragorn, fair and perilous, but only evil need fear it, or those who bring some evil with them. Follow me. Well, 
okay, I guess I will follow you. <laughs> he puts him in his place, I gotta say. He really does, yeah. And yet, Boromir's not really wrong. I guess we'll get to that, but... Yeah, yeah. No, he's not wrong. This is a dangerous place. There is peril here. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't get it exactly right. I like how right. Aragorn corrects him. Unscathed isn't the word, but unchanged is the word. Mm-hmm. That is a, a significant but subtle difference. Yeah. And it's understandable why Boromir would see it the other way. Well, and it, it's interesting that he uses this word perilous because this is a word that's pretty significant yeah. in Tolkien, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, in on fairy stories, Tolkien says fairy is a perilous land. Right. And then, of course, we get the wonderful title of that compilation of works that Brian Sibley put together called Tales from the Perilous Realm. Right. Yeah, so it is It is a perilous land, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I guess we'll get a chance to discuss this in more detail in two more seasons when I Sam is talking too, yeah. to Faramir about Galadriel. Because there's yeah. there's a moment later on when Sam is talking about Galadriel, and he there's a clear callback to this moment. True. Now, we don't have to get into it all right now, but I mean, let's just say that Perilous, as you said, it's not wrong. It's just sort of incomplete, sort of misinterpreted. Yeah, like Boromir's misunderstanding of unscathed and unchanged. It's, it's also, yeah, exactly. it's incomplete, it's misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. And unchanged would be more accurate. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting that Aragorn says, okay, you were wrong to say unscathed, you should have said unchanged. But look at what Boromir had said right before that. It is said that, A, few come out who once go in, and B, the few that come out have all been scathed, right? Nobody. Oh, Aragorn doesn't scathed. dispute the Aragorn few come out. Aragorn doesn't dispute does he? point A, does he? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, so if they come out, then they just come out un- unchanged. It's, it's uh, like maybe. that moment when when Princess Leia unloads a stream of insults on Han Solo, and Han right. just says, "Hey, who's he scruffy looking? Out, who's scruffy looking? I love that line. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's that's true. He doesn't dispute that part of it. I know." But he does say, look, lore is waning in Gondor. Yeah. Oh, and he insults them. Once were wise. The city of those who once were wise. once were wise. Ouch. Ouch. I.e., they are not now. Right. And, of course, it's it's true. They they do speak evil of Lothlorien there because they don't Mm -hmm. understand it. And that is a sign that their lore is waning. So he's absolutely right about that. And, of course, he is because he's been there. (laughs) That's right. He was there two generations before. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I love, uh, you know, the way he explains this is like, well, you know, okay, it's dangerous. They're, you're not going to be unscathed. It's not that you won't escape unscathed. It's that you won't escape unchanged. Um, but really, oh, by the way, there's no other option. You, you know, you're welcome to go back. You, you right. Can go back if you, if want you want to go home, you can, however you want to. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why Bormer's like, all right, I, I, you got me. Where else okay, am I going to go? Okay, you win. Right. But it is perilous. And he's, you know, I mean, he's he not holds wrong. to his point and he's not wrong. Yeah. And he's especially not wrong thanks to Aragorn's last line. It, it's fair and perilous, but really you only need to fear it if you bring evil with you. Mm-hmm. And I think we see a little bit of that. But Yeah, absolutely. And maybe he's decided it's okay to have just a little bit of peril. Oh, please. May I have a little peril? <laughs> no, it's too oh. perilous. Come on, just a tiny bit of peril. I could really use some peril right now. All right. Well, folks, the company might have to fend for themselves tonight, but you don't. We've got Barlaman's bag coming your way in just a minute. And even when that's done, the talk continues all night long at the Branching Pony. That's right. We've always got lots of discussion happening in our social media spaces. 
At our Common Room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on every episode, as well as updates from us throughout the week. Just look for the Prancing Pony podcast on Facebook and click the like and follow buttons. And now we have another Common Room on Reddit. You can find great discussions there at r slash prancingponypod. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at prancingponypod. Follow us wherever you might be. And if you like us, share us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or anywhere else you can find Tolkien fans. And if you really want to let the world know your feelings about us, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we have, the more visible our podcast is, which helps others find us and this great community of Tolkien fans we've built together. And finally, if you'd like access to exclusive content like postscripts, quarterly specials, PPP swag, and more, check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod to find out how you can join the fellowship of the podcast. We're well past our most recent goal of setting up a monthly Discord hangout, which you can join if you're a Patreon supporter at the gift of Gondor tier or higher. And we're making great progress on our way to our next big goal of doing two moots every year, because frankly, we just have so much fun at them. That we do, but we can't get there without your help. And we've got lots of cool bonus content and gifts to make it worth your while, including that chance to join our Discord server, where you can hang out with us once a month and even listen in live while we record a podcast. So if you're interested in joining, or if you'd just like to see how we're doing on our goals, visit patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Now, I think it's time to see what old Barlaman has in the mailbag for us tonight. Sean? Okay, well, we've got time for one tonight, and this one's going to yep. come from Jocko F. in Brooklyn, New York. Jocko wrote in with a question and kind of an observation from episode 149 when Pippin said to Elrond, You will have to lock me in prison or send me home tied in a sack. Jocko says, This to me feels like a pointed little jab at Elrond and the way hobbits would have viewed elvish hospitality, quote-unquote, through the stories of Bilbo. Considering they've just spent a bit of time with Bilbo and Rivendell, perhaps even remembering and hearing his old tales from his adventures with Thorin and company, do you think he, Pippin, was simply being dramatic? Or was he calling to mind the treatment the elves gave Thorin, Bilbo, and etc. in The Hobbit? Mm, mm -hmm. well, let's take a look at the text and check out the context again. Now, this passage is from the beginning of The Ring Goes South, when the members of the Fellowship are being chosen. Elrond initially says that he wants Pippin and Merry to go back to the Shire, but Pippin protests, and then Gandalf surprisingly supports him. Now, mm -hmm. Elrond at that point says that maybe he'll let Merry go, but not Pippin, he's too young. Pippin's response, Then, Master Elrond, you will have to lock me in prison or send me home tied in a sack, or otherwise I shall follow the company. Yeah, now Jocko's noticed a really striking similarity between the two specific alternatives Pippin comes up with. Yeah. Both of these things that Pippin suggests as hypothetical things that Elrond has to do, right. both of these things actually happen to Bilbo, or more properly to his dwarvish friends, during the adventures in The Hobbit. Right. I suspect maybe Bilbo has been telling some of the old stories again while the hobbits have been at Rivendell, and Pippin just has sure. those on his mind. As Jocko says, Pippin is probably being dramatic, but he could, and I, I dare say he probably is also, intentionally calling back to Bilbo's adventures just to kind of show Elrond that he means business and show him that he's just yeah. as worthy of going on his own adventure himself. Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation, Jocko. Uh, Bilbo told his stories, and I'm certainly wouldn't be shocked to discover that Pippin was thinking of those exact stories when he made this comment. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, is he trying to get a jab in at Elrond? Mm. I mean, my first thought is no, because yeah. although both of these things happened to Bilbo and his friends, it wasn't Elrond and his people who did these things to them. Right. I mean, remember, it was the trolls who put them in sacks, right? True. And then it was the elves of Mirkwood, not the elves of Rivendell, who imprisoned them. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, then again, Pippin's not exactly detail-oriented. So <laughs> no, that's true. It is quite possible at this early point in Pippin's adventures, I, I would not be surprised that maybe he wouldn't really know or remember the, or the, care. Oh, is not that the same as Thranduil's realm. Yeah. yeah, exactly, that they're different kind of elves, that these are not mm-hmm. the elves who imprisoned Bilbo. He probably just isn't thinking that that detail-oriented. So maybe... But I do tend to think it's really more of a matter of just being dramatic, trying to persuade Elrond and show him, like, yeah. hey, we're, we're tough like Bilbo, too. We can do this. That's right. And that's where I land as well. I don't think there's anything here about him trying to get a jab in. If, if Bilbo told his stories and Pippin was recollecting those details here, well, he would also have remembered Bilbo's stories of Rivendell and the Tralalalali elves and all of that. Yeah, so true. I think he would have already known the difference between Rivendell and Elrond's people versus these really secretive kind of nasty elves uh, that live in Mirkwood. So I really don't think he's getting a jab in per se. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I don't know how much of a difference he sees. (laughs) He probably, Mm -hmm. but he he certainly sees some. He certainly, he certainly feels like he's been treated well since he's been there. So there's really no reason to get a jab in. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm in agreement. I agree. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Now, please be sure to join us again in two weeks as we take next week off for Easter, when we cross the Nimrodell and encounter Lothlorien's border patrol. Uh-oh. You have yeah. your papers handy, Alan? Well, apparently all you need is a blindfold. So. Oh, yeah. Blindfold will get you through a lot. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that right there. But folks, we <laughs> want to thank each of you listening, and we also give a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kirdan's Contribution Tier. Those include DeMay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamson in Minnesota, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, Mario in Utah, Seth in Texas, Ella in California, Joseph in Texas, and Kathy from North Carolina. Thank you all so very much. Make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Prancy Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, and most of all, your silver corslets that shimmer like the light up on a rippling sea to Barliament at the prancingponypodcast.com. Barliament isn't even responding to our demands to be punctual with the mail anymore. <laughs> You're right. It's getting <laughs> worse, not better. <laughs> it's getting worse. But we will get back to you as soon as we can. And remember yeah. that it is not our fault. It is Barliament's. Yeah. And your question or comment may be featured on an upcoming show. Well... This has still been far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. Farewell.